Lisa, if you think. No one's saying do this. Now, when I said that. No one's saying be there. Well, I meant what? No one's saying stop that. No, what you don't no realize. No one's saying see here. Now say there. Ah! We don't run around all day. Well, that's definitely out. Welcome back to the Philip K. Dick Book Club. Um, in this episode, we'll be looking at Philip K. Dick's uh, short story, The King of the Elves, a fantasy story he wrote. Uh, in, well, it was published in 1953. Now, one thing about this story, I remember a few years ago, there was talks about this becoming a film. It was being produced by Disney. And I don't know where where that is right now, if it was kind of a straight-to-DVD thing and I missed it, or if... You know, it's still in development, but I suppose the rights are still owned by them and that development may be still going on. If anyone knows, they can drop a message to me. Um, you know, I'm not too hopeful of, of what this story can create in, in a film, but there are a handful of interesting things here I, I do want to talk about. And I'll at the at some point during this podcast during this episode i'm going to talk a little bit about the fantasy science fiction divide and what that means politically and uh certainly i i agree that there's a, a broader speculative fiction rubric that we can use but i still think that there is kind of value differences between fantasy and science fiction at least traditionally even though they're being broken down in more recent years okay the king of the elves was first published in beyond fantasy fiction in september 1953 uh, this was, as I said before, a really big year for Philip Dick getting published. Uh, he published some two dozen stories in this year, so about two a month. And um, a lot of these laid a lot of the ideas that come up later on in his novels. Um, it, you know, was really the foundation for his career. And this in 1954 was also a big year for stories, and that's one reason we're spending so much time on stories uh, in this early part of the podcast. Um, you can find this in the Paycheck and Other Classic Stories volume, the first volume of Collected Stories, if you want. It's around 15 pages. It's it's not one of my favorites. Um, when, I, when I first read it, I was kind of off-put by it because I was interested in Philip Dick for science fiction. and I really didn't want to read these fantasy stuff. And it's only later that I realized how much of his early work actually was fantasy. I mean, we can't take too seriously a lot of his technology for instance he's really far from hard science fictions um, but a lot of his early stories do have these fantastic elements that don't really make it they don't fit well in the, into science fiction and I think even a lot of his stories really rely on fantasy motifs um, you know, even if he was primarily a science fiction writer uh, he's he's not as bound by genres as sometimes we think of course we all know that Philip Dick wanted to be a mainstream writer too so that and he was writing mainstream novels at this time they just weren't getting published and mostly they weren't published till after his um, after his death I think you can get pretty much all of them now at least the ones that survived anyways on to King and the Elves so our main character here is Shadrach Jones. He's got this kind of weird fantasy name. It, it almost sounds like one of these names you'd get out of a, a fantasy name generator. If you play D&D and you need a name, you go online and you, you know, punch in, you need a character's name, and you'll get something like that. Shadrach. Um, I don't know where Dick got it from, though, but Shadrach Jones. So we got a kind of a, an odd name and a very classical, traditional American name, Jones. So he's an aging operator of a fuel pumping station in an insignificant town of Derryville. Well, that's a warning sign there, Derryville. Um, as, as, as I'm recording this, I'm anxiously 
awaiting uh, the release of it, which will be in a few days. Uh, of course, that's set in the town of Derry. Uh, I'm sure there's no connection. This town is Derryville, completely insignificant. So he's just got, got, got this fueling station. The odd car comes by, I suppose, to, to get a refill. That's where his income comes from. He only makes a little bit of money, uh, but he really doesn't have many needs either. The character is presented as a character with very, very few few needs. Basically, a very humble person. To quote here, um, quote, Not much, but enough for one old man. Enough to buy him tobacco and firewood and magazines, so he could be comfortable as he waited for the occasional cars to come by. Not very many cars came along the highway anymore. The highway had begun to fall into disrepair. There were many cracks on its dry, rough surface, and most cars preferred to take the big state highways that ran beyond the hills. There was nothing in Derryville to attract him to make them turn toward it. Derryville is a small town, too small to bring in any of the major industries, too small to be very important at all. Sometimes hours went by without... And, and then there's a break in the sentence. But it gives you a sense of how little this guy needs. We have sort of a forgotten town in, in Derryville, which I think there are a lot of in America. And I've written elsewhere that you can really go back to Innsmouth. Innsmouth is, or Dunwich, these kind of Lovecraftian towns are good examples of the forgotten neighborhood, the forgotten town. Uh, Dunwich, because it's kind of inbred and backward. Innsmouth once had a very prosperous, it was a sea town, it had a prosperous gold metal smelting operation it got a lot of trade from abroad but you know it, it fell into decay for very because of various outside influences both biological remember Lovecraft was much of a racist um, but also ideologically and in religion and these towns kind of get abandoned and left behind and that's what happens I think in America I think you know, like if you think of the America in the 20s and the deep culture wars that were coming to the fro there, I'm talking about these in my Steinbeck series. Um, these culture wars are largely because the city was taken over as the dominant locale of American culture and the countryside felt left behind. And then you see the rise of fundamentalism, you see the rise of the Klan and these other more nefarious elements in American culture. Uh, but they came out of a resentment over the, 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 the agrarian being left behind by a rising urban culture. Uh, this is a left behind town. And uh, we can even look at, for instance, how highways, when new highway developments come in, you know, how they leave whole neighborhoods behind, you know, just where those exits are put could have a big effect on, you know, how communities develop, right? You know, hotels, of course, move from the center of the city to the outside, to the outskirts, to the highway off-ramps we know that restaurants fast food moves to that but then that that's kind of a story of progress and development of the suburbs but that forgets that big chunks of the inner city got left behind just because of where a road got placed right or a, a freeway you should probably go back and reread uh what's this guy i forget the guy's first name caro is his last name the, the power broker about robert moses this is a big thick biography of robert moses but it focuses on, you know, the how important this figure was who decided where the roads went, right? So anyways, I'm thinking about all this here. I'm barely getting started in this story. Anyways, Dick, Dick jumps right into the plot. One day, three elves arrive at a fueling station, and two are holding a platform. And the one on the platform declares himself to be the, quote, king of the elves. Now, these aren't Tolkien elves. 
Of course, Dick would have been familiar with Tolkien elves by this point. Yeah, The Hobbit certainly was released. Lord of the Rings, I think, was in the late 40s, right? So these aren't Tolkien elves. These are more like Santa elves. They're small. They wear ridiculous colored clothing. You know, they're, they're just kind of weird. But they're that kind of elf. They're not the classic high fantasy elf. Anyway, Sadrak invites the weary travelers into his home. The king explains to Shadrach that they were attacked by trolls near the Towering Mountain, which is a local ridge, and they escaped on the, quote, the endless path, which is the highway. So all these geographical locations that are well known to Shadrach get kind of re are, are, have different, are known by different names to the elves. So the highway becomes known as the endless path to them. It's kind of interesting. The elves are very apologetic for bothering Shadrach, but insists that their situation is very dire and they need his help. Shadrach himself has doubts, but, you know, he did see elves, so whatever. Uh, that seems to be real. Um, and then one of the elves announces that the king has died. So as soon as the king came in, the king dies, very conveniently. The elves then explain to Shadrach that they don't elect a king. Instead, that each king names his successor. So it's kind of like the early Roman Empire or even the early Muslim caliphates, the, the Abbas, not, not the Abbasid, the Umayyad caliphate, where the next the successor to the previous king is is kind of chosen from the from by the previous one, not necessarily genetic lottery. And in this case, before dying, the late king named Shadrach as his successors. He, with a prophecy that he'll win victory over the, the quote-unquote trolls. So Shadrach becomes king of the elves. I know I put Lion King at the beginning, and Simba, of course, is very eager to be king, but Shadrach's not eager to be king. He's very happy with his life as he is. So that, I guess that song was a bit ill-placed. The next day at the filling station, Shadrach meets an acquaintance, a guy named Phineas Judd, and he tells and he tells him the story. He says, Judd, Dude, I'm the king of the elves. And then later, another acquaintance, Dan Green, asks him, you know, what the hell's going on? Are you really king of the elves? And the news quickly spreads. And most of the people in Derryville, which is a very small town, take Shadrach basically as crazy. He's hiding some unseen motive, maybe. Why would he want to lie about being king of the elves? So he's either crazy or he's got some really weird plan. Phineas expresses the most concern over Shadrach. Kind of saying we really need to do something about this guy's mental health. That night, Shadrach is approached by the elves who announce that the trolls are on the move. They're trying to take advantage of the death of their late king. Shadrach goes out to meet his enemy out of his sense of duty he develops. He feels this responsibility to the elves for some reason. Phineas, Phineas, however it's pronounced, his friend, sees this and tries to stop him and convinces him to come over for a cup of coffee. And, and Shadrach says, okay, I'll do that. And over that cup of coffee, Phineas manages to convince Shadrach that he should relax and take a bath that evening and, and not worry too much about these elves. I apologize. I got cicadas here. I'll turn, you know, they'll live in Taiwan. And you get insects and make a lot of noise. Anyways. Now, as they're having, like, he's relaxing that night... And Phineas and Shadrach are spending kind of the night hanging out together. But in the evening light, Phineas appears 
suddenly to Shadrach to have these beastly features. So he's kind of a two-faced, right? But only in the moonlight or in the, the darkness does he notice his beastly features. Um, this is a... This is an idea that Dick plays with in other stories. I'm thinking especially uh, the father thing where a child, you know, is with his father one day, but the next day the father or the next moment even the father appears as a beast, as a monster. How we all can at a moment's notice switch who we are essentially to our, to, you know, how we appear to other people. You know, we make a face or we get disgusted. Um, you know, I was just back in Wisconsin, as you may know, and I, you know, I see some friends and family and I was with a cousin and there was a moment when he like was just talking with us and then he exploded at his kids. He didn't do anything violent, but just kind of yelled at them and it shocked us all to see that. But it was at a moment's notice. He just got angry and upset. That's the thing that can happen, you know, to, to a lot of us, to, you know, really to any of us. And that can be from the outside perspective, basically like turning into a beast. Anyways, what Shadrach takes out of this is that Phineas is really a troll, right? Um, he confronts Phineas on his true identity, and at this moment, trolls start to pour out of his basement. Um, Shadrach, with the help of the elves, fight off all the trolls, killing Phineas in the process, who's revealed to be the quote-unquote great troll, essentially the king of the trolls. And after the victory, Shadrach is about to retire as king, um, you know, basically he says, I fought off the trolls. I committed to the prophecy. I completed the prophecy, so I should retire. But instead, he decides to take on this new responsibility. Um, as king of the elves, he abandons his old rundown filling station, and he takes on this, this new role. So we kind of have a happy ending here. Unless you think, you know, being king's not that great, then maybe it's a sad ending. I thought he had a pretty good life running his filling station, not needing much, having good friends. You know, I imagine he went out to lunch a lot with his friends. He had beers with them all the time. He, I think he had a pretty good life. But responsibility takes over. And responsibility is a theme that Dick cares a lot about. And one of his more memorable scenes at the end of Not Wait for Last Year, you have a man who commits to the responsibility for caring for a, a dying and sick wife. You know, a wife who's addicted to a drug. Okay, let's get into this uh, analysis a little bit. Now, Dick doesn't write that many fantasy stories, but as I said before, I, I think there are fantastic kind of motifs and devices he uses. Even when he's writing kind of science fiction, he's not like he's not hard enough of a science fiction writer to, you know, to care much about how technology works, right? Or, or to try to accurately predict the future. He's more interested in ideas. And that, that gives a kind of a fantasy theme to a lot of what he does here, right? Which I just mentioned Now Wait for Last Year. And that story, there's a drug that one taking of it makes you addicted for life and it lets you travel through time. You know, I doubt there's any kind of chemical way of getting that effect, right? It's, it's just a, a plot device. In that sense, it's, it's, it's fantastic. Now, Dick's themes usually come from his perspective on the world around him. So that's how I'd like to kind of read this story. Um, I, I think part of the power of science fiction, whether it's hard or not, is that it's socially and politically engaged. Now, one way we can read The King of the Elves is I suppose we could take it as a, a story of psychosis in which a character is falling deeper and deeper into his fantasy delusions. If this is true, he essentially murders his friend. Right, who he believes to be the king of the trolls. We could take it all from his perspective, assume he's deluded, and just say that this is just someone who's 
going crazy and in a big fight at his friend's house he kills his friend you know believing he to be the great troll and that could be what really happens in the story and then he goes off into the woods presumably to die believing he's going to be king of the elves now maybe shadrach is an allegory for the fantasy genre itself we have a character completely detached from reality He's rejecting his career at the Philly station, going on to become King of the Elves. Shadrach therefore embraces this attachment. Now, if you remember the Dungeons and Dragons scare of the 80s, which I remember because that was when I was growing up and first getting involved in fantasy and playing those games and stuff, people said, you know, people will get into this fantasy, like especially religious people would say this, right? People will get obsessed with fantasy and magic and they won't be able to escape. They'll have this detachment from the world as if, Christianity doesn't serve that same function all the time of, of creating a detachment from the world. But there was this fear that the fantasy world would lead to a detachment from the quote-unquote real world. Um, now, this is kind of a funny thing to look back on, but it was pretty serious at the time. There were stories of people committing suicide, of people getting drawn into witchcraft and all that. The point here is that fantasy was seen as escapism, and here we have Shadrach basically escaping his, albeit modest, real-life responsibilities. But let's take Shadrach's perspective seriously as true. The only other witnesses to the ceaseless battle between the trolls and the elves is Phineas. Everyone else in the town assumes Shadrach is going crazy. Phineas, Phineas, whatever, uh, he seems to know Shadrach best. And he's the most openly worried about his deteriorating uh, mental condition. This is not because he secretly knows the truth and wants to prevent Shadrach from helping the elves. He's just being a good friend, let's imagine. So what's really happening on that night was something like this. Shadrach is invited in by his friend, who's very worried about him, he tries to talk him down from some of his delusions. And in a moment of madness, Shadrach murders his neighbor and succumbs totally to his delusions. Becoming the king is the total surrender from reality. Unfortunately, the murder of his friend is a very real thing. Now, this is not, I suspect, the way any adaptation of the story will go, although that's how it probably should go, I, I think. Now, at the same time, if not, except for the murder of, of the great troll, of his friend, you know, how much is really wrong with Shadrach's delusions? The rest of the town sees Shadrach's stories as a source of amusement. Shadrach is nearing retirement. He has very few needs, no family, and only a handful of friends. So what if he is crazy, except for the fact that he murders his, his other friend, but I mean, what's the big deal, right? Life hasn't given him that much, quote, enough to buy him tobacco and firewood and magazines. He's being left behind by the community, and the world has left his community beyond. You know, global capitalism does this all the time. Towns like Derryville are constantly being left behind by the world system. The road's in disrepair. Even the government doesn't care enough to, to fix the potholes. Traffic takes another route, an easier route, right? A faster route. He's a good candidate for the village wacko, you know, if not for the murderous delusions takes at the end. So I don't know. If we want to take it as a strict fantasy tale and say he sees everything that is really there, you know, then the story, you can just read it literally. And he does go off to be king of the elves. But I think... Probably the most fruitful way to read this is as kind of a case study of, of mental illness. 
Um, but you know, I, I am eager. If this does become a movie someday, I'd love to see the final scene to be a blood-soaked Shadrach shuffling down an old dilapidated highway in a shot revealing that at the last moment the elves really are merely a fantasy. Um, so with that, I, I did promise to talk a little bit about the fantasy science fiction politics of it all. And a lot of this goes back to Tolkien and certainly fantasy today, you know, when you got George R. R. Martin out there, George R. R. Martin out there, it's not nearly as as simple as this. But essentially the idea is that science fiction is politically progressive in, in two ways. One in that it often can imagine utopias. It's capable of imagining a utopia, right? In the future, at least. Fantasy, if it can't imagine a utopia, it's usually the past or in some distant realm, right? The Grey Havens in Lord of the Rings or maybe the good old days before Sauron or something or when the king was intact, right? The third volume, The Return of the King, imagines this kind of conservative restoration of a monarchy. But science fiction is capable of looking at utopias in this world or in the future or on some other planet, right? Uh, Ursula Le Guin does this very well in in the dispossessed, of course, by, you know, it's it's a utopia. It's, a, it's an anarchist utopia. Lots of problems. You know, it's not an ideal world, but she is capable of imagining it, right? Yeah, as a functioning thing, warts and all. It can envision progress, whether technological or political or social. And that's one way I think science fiction can be progressive. The other way is it that it often is critiquing real life inequalities and problems, whether it's race or, you know, or urban inequalities or whatever, right? Um, Science fiction, you know, the first interracial kiss on TV famously was Star Trek, right? So there's these abilities of science fiction to critique the present while imagining, you know, better futures or progress in some sort, right? Even if you take the more conservative science fiction of, of like Jules Verne, you know, he's not really challenging social realities, but he still sees technological progress as a real possibility, something that I think a lot of us maybe are are worried about or skeptical about, right? You know, we aren't getting the, the technologies. The, we're not getting the hover car. We're not getting the robot factory, at least not yet. We're not, and even if we do, a lot of people say that's going to be bad, right? It's going to be the social disruption of labor. The dream of many science fiction writers of the robot factory to eliminate, eliminate labor, to free us from labor, all the way back to looking backward, Edward Bellamy. So that these were liberatory things back in the 19th century. Now they might be seen as things we should fear because robots are going to take our jobs. And Dick's kind of in that realm, actually. Fantasy, on the other hand, tends to look backward. It tends to reinforce hierarchies. It tends to see genetic inequalities between people, like the old Dungeons and Dragons classes, right? Gandalf is an authority figure, you know, because he actually has a genetic, biological, whatever, a historical claim to authority, his knowledge and his power, right? The whole story is about the return of the monarchy to one of the great kingdoms of the realm. I, I would say even something as, in many other ways, politically progressive as as Harry Potter, you know, there, yeah, you do have the critique of, of racism and fascism with the whole muggle thing and the mixed blood and Voldemort being a big racist and being revealed to be basically just a racist xenophobe. 
But on the other hand, you have praising like a school that's very hierarchical, praising like you have wizards of different abilities, which is kind of almost biological, right? Some are just born to be the right person, the chosen one. All of these things I think are problematic if we really want to have a progressive future. In this way, they're closer to the superhero genre in which some people are born or through luck are given in a position to be authority figures over us. So that in short is... I think the political conflict between fantasy and, and science fiction and to a large degree fantasy has gotten over this. I think I, and although I don't read too much contemporary fantasy, uh, it, you do see in Martin kind of the nail, putting the last nail in the coffin of the Tolkien kind of mythology of, of kind of the restoration, the, 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 the dream of restoration. That's not there at all really in, the, in that story. So with that, um, there's, there's, in the end, a lot to say about this story. I think it's it's fascinating. It's probably, if I had to categorize it, I'd put it in one of, as one of Dick's Tales of Mental Illness. But, you know, there's other ways to read it. And I just think it's, it's nice to talk about where Dick might lie in the fantasy science fiction genre. I think his politics definitely aren't reactionary in any way. So in that way, he's, he's one of our comrades. So that does it. Um, thanks so much for listening. If you have any comments or thoughts, please post them. Uh, rate, subscribe, share this with your friends. I'd love to, as always, I'd love to get a wider audience. And, you know, the more comments or likes I get, the easier it will be for this podcast to, to spread. Um, and I'll, I'll be, I'll see you next time with another Philip K. Dick short story. Look up.